0: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with renewed concerns around the economy, putting the S&P and the Nasdaqs. Multi-week win streaks at risk. Futures are now fighting for gains and making the case for a cost-cutting push. New comments from the CEO of FedEx to CNBC on his plans to consolidate the company into a streamlined operation. And shares of Costco under pressure this morning as the retailer does something for the first time in nearly three years that has investors just worrying a bit. And now, we're gonna keep an eye on the consumer. We get a fresh read of data from MasterCard. You'll see first, right here on CNBC, we look at the impact of inflation pressures on spending habits and Amazon looking to further tighten its finances and make concerns around the around the economy, reportedly taking an axe to compensation for its workers. It is Thursday, April the 6th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Hollins. Kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Looking at U.S. stock futures right now, we're seeing a bit of a mixed picture. The S&P basically flat, the Dow Jones up slightly. The Nasdaq down a bit as well. So this follows a mostly lower session yesterday on the back of that ADP payroll and ISM services data, raising some fresh worries about the economy. So the Nasdaq shedding more than 1% with the S&P dipping lower as well. The Dow, it was able to eke out just a slight gain yesterday. The Nasdaq and the S&P both poised to snap their three-week win streaks. We also want to get a check on the bond market. We're looking at yields this morning. So, of course, we start with the 10-year benchmark at 328 We're seeing the three-month bill up here. We're looking at this, the spread between the three-month bill and the two-year note. This is the highest in about 40 years, according to the CNBC data team and our own Rick Santelli, something we're watching as a possible recession indicator. All right, we're also looking at energy, those economic worries providing fresh pressures for oil amid its recent rebound. Right now, WTI, just a tick above 80 bucks a barrel, down about a third of a percent this morning. Brent crude, just below 85 bucks a barrel, down about a quarter percent this morning. We're also watching crypto. Bitcoin right now, we're seeing it right now. We've been watching it all week long, just below, just a tick below that $28,000 mark that seems to be meaningful for the cryptocurrency, down almost a percent this morning. Ether, however, looking at Ether down a percent and a half, but it's hovering around a nine-month high ahead of a major network upgrade. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action over in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Arabile Gumede is standing by in our London newsroom, seeing a lot of green over there in Europe, Arabile.
1: Yeah, certainly the case, Frank. Look, the market has really been looking ahead to some positivity, I guess ushering in the long weekend, right? So certainly a lot of green across the board, a lot of focus still on the economic uncertainty around the world, of course. Uh, We are taking a look at the jobs numbers out of the United States, that economic data is really bound to uh, kind of set the tone really for a lot of the day. Of course, we had that private payrolls number coming out yesterday. What then happens to the non-farm payrolls numbers as well then later today will certainly shape up a lot of uh, the movement then today. A 60% chance now that the Fed might not hike interest rates in May is very interesting to note. But on the economic, on the rather corporate front uh, as well for news. Shell has warned of a first quarter corporate loss of up to $1.2 billion, citing one-off tax charges. The energy giant said it expects stronger LNG volumes in the first quarter. That's after outages at Australian plants last year. Shell is due to report its earnings on May the 4th. So this is a stock we're certainly watching. Frank, happy Easter.
0: Arabile, thank you very much. You enjoy Good Friday tomorrow as well. All right, time now. Let's get a check for this morning's top corporate stories, including FedEx's CEO laying out the company's cost-cutting vision. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those headlines. Good morning, Pippa.
2: Good morning, Frank. Well, Raj Subramaniam is making the case for FedEx's consolidation plans unveiled yesterday. Under that strategy, the company will consolidate its separate delivery companies into a single unit in a bid to better compete with UPS and Amazon. Speaking with Jim Cramer, Cramer on last night's Mad Money, Subramaniam reiterated his promise to make FedEx a more efficient company.
3: When I came on the show last time, I told you that, you know, we are seeing a slowdown in our economy. And we started, we we made the determination then that we're going to come out of this stronger than we went in. And that we're going to take control of the things that we can control. That essentially became the way we work and that became drive. And we have have proceeded with significant urgency, a lot of our rapidity to create these programs that we are confident that we can take out $4 billion of cost in fiscal year 25.
2: According to Costco, shares are under pressure this morning down 2 percent after reporting its first monthly same-store sales drop in nearly three years. The membership warehouse retailer says overall sales fell just over 1 percent last month. Costco executives saying that falling gas prices and foreign exchange weighed on results. And Tesla apparently bolstering its workforce at its Austin production plant dramatically last year. According to reports, the EV maker tripled its number of employees from 3,500 to more than 12,000. According to Tesla's agreement with local economic development officials, the company is obligated to create 5,000 new full-time jobs over the next four years. Those shares basically flat here right now, Frank.
0: All right. Pippa Stevens, uh, Tesla, as you mentioned, down fractionally, and you're going to have more on the EV race to get the commodities they need to produce vehicles coming up later in the show. Pippa, thank you very much. All right. Turning now to what back to Wall Street and many other stock markets around the world. They're going to be closed tomorrow for Good Friday, but with the weaker economic data we've seen this week from the ADP and the ISM manufacturing and services report, Traders, they may be paying much closer attention to the March jobs report, which is out at 830 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, again, even though the markets are closed. So while the sluggish data is prompting investors to scale back their bets of how long the Fed will need to keep rates high in restrictive territory, it's also pushing bond yields down and reigniting recession fears. Let's bring in Vance Howard, CEO and portfolio manager at Howard Capital Management. Vance, always great to see you.
4: Hey, Good to see you again,
0: Frank. How are you? Uh, Good, man. So we just laid out some concerns that people have. ADP payroll report, the ISM report. However, you're actually bullish on the markets, I believe, for the very first time all year. And that's even with the NASDAQ and the S&P looking to snap some win streaks. So complete change for you. Give us a sense of what are you seeing that's making you so optimistic about the uh, upside for equities?
4: Uh, well I think that the the trend changed Frank you know we had that nasty little drop when when the CVB blew up and the banks blew up and that does give me a little bit of heartburn and, and some concern but but the trend is up now and, and and we're looking pretty positive on how the market's trading and the market traded above about three eleven three twelve three hundred twelve three eleven on the queues which was really positive to us It's sort of a pivot point there. so it looks like the market can move higher. And, you know another and another interesting thing, Frank is that We've had two quarters now where the S&P has been positive. That's never happened in a bear market since 1950. That's been a little bit of trivia there for you.
0: It's pretty interesting there, Van. So uh, this isn't trivia, but this is a fact from our data team. I want to bounce this off of you. We're looking at widening bond spreads, specifically the three-month and the two-year, now at more than 125 basis points. We're going to show the audience a chart in just a second. Our data team says this is the biggest spread in about 40 years. So do you believe this is a recession indicator? Is this something... Even though I know you're bullish on equities right now, is this something you're watching and it could possibly be a concern?
4: It, it is a concern to us. But, you know, the feds sort of backed into a corner now, Frank, because I got to tell you, um, either they're going to break inflation or they're going to break the economy. So they're going to have to pick one. And they're in that point now where. They're going to have to pick or choose. So, I think that they're going to pick saving the economy, maybe slowing down on, on rate increases. I think that's why you're seeing like TLT, the 20 year uh, ETF of, of the 20 year bonds tick up. You're seeing a uh, corporate bonds tick up. So, I think it's a positive move here. So, I think, like I said earlier, they're going to have to pick one of the two either break the economy or break inflation. I think they're backed into a corner. You know, another thing, too, Frank, that's very interesting. We always hear everybody talk about capitulation on the downside. There can also be capitulation on the upside. If this thing starts to really start to march forward, You can see the bears and the the shorts start to throw in the towel.
0: You know, when you talk about capitulation, that usually is to the downside. I think what you're talking about is some bullish sentiment, which you also have. So give us a sense, Vance, sectors, actual names that you're seeing opportunity in right now.
4: Well, I think a good play here on the banking sectors is Bank of America. We like that stock quite a bit. We've been picking it up. The Qs look good to us, QQQ. Uh, MGK, which is Vanguard's uh, mega cap growth, that looks very, very good to us. Uh, there's a lot of bit different ETFs. that look, You know, biotech looked pretty strong this week. IBB is a good way to play that. So some of these sectors are starting to move higher and March higher. And I think that tech and growth is going to be a big
0: winner in 2023. All right. Certainly something to watch. Vance Howard, last time we talked to you, the markets had you ready to go to the bar and buy a drink. Now you're ready to buy stocks. Big <laughs> turnaround. Great to see you as always. Man.
4: Well, the banks are imploding. That always frightens me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it frightened a lot of people. Vance Howard, good to see you. Uh, All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, French President Emmanuel Macron and other European leaders descending on China and the latest push to engage with Xi Jinping. We're live in Beijing with the key focus for both sides in these sit-downs. Plus, the race is on by EV makers to secure those precious metals needed for key parts in their autos. And look at who's set to cash in on that growing need. And later on in the show, a potential ban for TikTok in the U.S., reportedly doing little to slow the rate of ad spending on that social platform. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now to a developing story with Saudi Arabia and Iran's foreign ministers coming together to discuss key details in their resumption of bilateral relations. That sit-down taking place in Beijing. It comes after last month's landmark agreement between the two countries to end years of hostilities. That's a deal that was brokered by China. According to Iran's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the two leaders signed an agreement to reopen embassies and consulates in their mutual countries. French President Emmanuel Macron meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping earlier today. That meeting coming as she prepares to sit down with both Macron and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Yunus Yun now joins us from Beijing. Yunus, good morning. What's the key focus for each of these sides during these meetings?
5: Well, for the Europeans, it's definitely Ukraine, as well as trade. So in about 20 minutes from now, the French president, along with the Chinese president, are going to be making statements to the press. And this comes after President Macron arrived here uh, yesterday for a three-day visit, along with the European Commission chief, uh, where the two hope to engage China on Ukraine, as well as commercial issues. Now, President Macron today had met with President Xi um, to build what he described as a common path with China on peace on Ukraine. He said that China could potentially play a, quote, major role, given its close ties with Russia. Now, it's unclear how much influence President Macron would actually have on President Xi, who's described Russia's President Putin as a best friend. And also, China has yet to condemn the invasion in Ukraine, and this is despite uh, China uh, rolling out a 12-point plan, which it said could help uh, resolve the crisis in Ukraine. Now, the European business community uh, pointed to recent comments by the Chinese ambassador to the E.U. a sign that maybe just maybe china wants to at least distance itself slightly from uh, moscow in an interview with the new york times the ambassador said china's so-called no limit friendship is nothing but rhetoric uh, he also stressed that china does not and would not provide arms to Russia. So uh, President Macron is traveling, uh, Frank, with um, a massive delegation of business executives as well. So uh, a lot of the people in the business community believe that we could see announcements uh, made, um, even on Airbus, uh, for example, uh, but uh, no progress uh, likely on an investment treaty, which is something that the Chinese very much have wanted to see revived.
0: All right. Something we know you'll continue to watch. Our Eunice Yun live in Beijing. Eunice, thank you very much. All right, Taiwan is keeping a close eye on a Chinese aircraft carrier in the Straits of Taiwan and threats to inspect shifts. This comes after China condemned the meeting between Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen and U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy yesterday in California. That meeting taking place as U.S.-China relations have soured, and despite threats of retaliation from Beijing, a delegation of U.S. lawmakers, led by the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall, arrived in Taipei today. Let's talk more about all of this now with Noah Barkin senior advisor in the China practice at the Rhodium Group. Noah, great to have you here.
6: Thanks for having me. All
0: right, so we just laid out some of the things that are going on right now, that meeting with the Taiwanese president and the House Speaker, um, some other issues there in the Straits of Taiwan. Right now, what's the state of relations between the U.S. and China, and what do you see moving ahead?
6: Well, I think at the end of last year, uh, Biden met with Xi Jinping uh, in Bali at the G20 meeting. There was hope that uh, perhaps the U.S. and China could reduce the temperature in the relationship, uh, address some of the uh, contentious, contentious issues. Uh, that hasn't uh, really happened. The, uh, the balloon incident earlier this year, ever since then, uh, U.S.-China relations have been on a downward spiral. Uh, this, uh, this meeting between uh, House Speaker McCarthy and, and Tsai uh, is certainly not going to help that. Um, so it's interesting that the Europeans, uh, are in Beijing at the moment, talking with the Chinese, uh, at a moment when the U S is having trouble talking with Beijing.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about those Europeans in China right now. I know that's really your wheelhouse. Um, one thing we want to look at, especially here on CNBC, I didn't realize this until you sent it to us, China and Europe do about a billion dollars, a billion euros in trade every day. So when we're talking about the European commissioner, the French president meeting with the Chinese president, who has more skin in the game in this meeting?
6: Well, I mean, both want to preserve the economic relationship, uh, but uh, Macron and von der Leyen have different views about how to, how to approach China. Von der Leyen gave a very big speech uh, last Thursday uh, advocating for a de-risking uh, from China and pushing uh, a, f- a new focus on econo- economic security, so focusing on the risks related to that relationship. The trade relationship is very large. But it's been heading in a bad direction from the point of view of Europe, uh, growing, growing uh, trade deficit with China. Uh, I think Macron uh, uh, is uh, very much focused on uh, re-engaging with China, trying to put pressure on China to uh, to lean on Vladimir Putin to uh, arrive at a peaceful resolution of this war. Uh, and uh, as you said in the introduction, he has over fifty CEOs with him, so he's. He's putting the focus more on re-engagement or re-risking rather than de-risking.
0: All right. That's an interesting turn of events right there. So I do want to talk a bit about Ukraine. Um, When it comes to Ukraine, for both the French president and the European commissioner, what do they want from China when it comes to Ukraine? Obviously, China's just inserted itself into the situation, coming up with plans, you know, talking to Russia about it. What do they want to see from China?
6: Well, I think the top priority is really convincing China to play a more constructive role in bringing about an end to the conflict, and that that involves leaning on uh, uh, President uh, Vladimir Putin, using China's influence. Uh, China obviously has uh, a, a close relationship uh, with uh, Russia. We saw that when she was in Moscow uh, in, in recent weeks, uh, a very sort of chummy visit between Xi and Putin. Uh, I, I think the Europeans would like to see she. Uh, uh, balancing this this uh, close relationship with with uh, with Putin, uh, talking with uh, Ukraine uh, President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, which she has not done since uh, the beginning of this war, uh, they would like to see China expressing its opposition to Russian plans uh, to deploy nuclear weapons in Belarus, uh, and of course they want reassurances that uh, China is not going to aid Russia militarily. That would be a red line for Europe and would likely lead to a debate over sanctions on China.
0: All right, Noah Barkin of the Rhodium Group, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate the insight. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, more on China as lawmakers gather with tech and entertainment executives to dive into their business dealings with that country, the questions those business leaders are facing when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Ford recently announcing it's teaming up with Valet. ...to secure nickel from Indonesia for electric vehicle batteries. It's part of a new trend among auto- automakers going directly to the source and partnering with mining companies. Our Pippa Stevens is here with that story. Pippa, good morning.
2: Good morning, Frank. Well, as the electric vehicle race heats up, we're seeing more and more agreements between OEMs and upstream miners as automakers look to secure key battery minerals. We're talking specifically about lithium, nickel and cobalt since those go into the battery. Now, this map from the Wilson Center shows that shows that lithium deposits are concentrated in Chile, Argentina, with some also in Australia. Now, key miners include Albemarle, SQM and Gongfang. Turning to cobalt, which is blue, you can see the vast majority is concentrated in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, with some also in australia miners for cobalt include glencore and Vale, both of which are also involved in nickel which as you can see is concentrated in australia and indonesia with some deposits also in brazil and russia but while these minerals are all over the world as this next map shows refining and processing is heavily concentrated in China. And that's one reason automakers are now working directly with miners. They want to move away from the dependence. It can also help with exposure to price risk after lithium's huge rally. And with some also warning we won't have enough of these materials, it's a way to secure supply. Now, in addition to volley, Ford also has agreements with BHP, Ioneer, and Liontown Resources, among others. GMs teamed up with Glencore Lithium Americas and Liven, And Tesla suppliers include Albemarle, LiveIn, Glencore and BHP. Frank.
0: So, Pippa, a big part of the Inflation Reduction Act is reshoring and bringing production back here to the United States. What kind of movement have we seen on that front since the bill passed?
2: It's been huge for the industry. We've seen a lot of new battery factory announcements in the U.S. But one key part that's missing from the equation is where are we going to get the actual minerals to, you know, to go into these batteries? And we have seen a number of announcements, including from Lithium Americas, from Piedmont Lithium and Albemarle to increase production in the United States. But that really is the bottleneck here. It's a lot faster to build a battery factory, say, a couple of years A new mine takes a decade or more to come online, so there is a bit of a mismatch between expectations versus realities and the constraints of the raw materials.
0: All right, our Pippa Stevens. Great reporting as always, Pippa. Good to see you. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, Disney tapping a new leader for its streaming services. The challenges he is already facing from his boss, CEO Bob Iger. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Wind streaks at risk. The S&P and the NASDAQ set to snap multi-week gains as fears around the economy reemerge in the markets. Futures are working to gain traction. Also, the state of the consumer. We got some fresh data from MasterCard you'll see first right here on CNBC, tracking spending and how inflation is influencing shopping habits. And Amazon further tightening its belt, scaling back on employee compensation amid economic worries. It's Thursday, April the 6th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, we're seeing a bit of a change right now. We're seeing red across the board. uh, The Dow Jones dipping in in a negative territory since we started the show. The S&P and the Nasdaq also in the red as well. We also want to get a check on the bond market this morning. We're specifically looking at two things. The spread between the three month T bill, the three month T bill, excuse me, and the two year note right here. This is the widest spread, according to our CNBC data team, in about 40 years. This is often seen as a recession indicator, something we're going to continue to watch. And we're also watching energy. Uh, We're seeing fresh economic worries as we've seen pressure on the oil market after its recent rebound. Right now, we're seeing WTI just a tick above 80 bucks a barrel, certainly off of its highs from earlier this week. After those OPEC production cuts down more than a half percent this morning, we're also seeing Brent crude at about 84.5, and down a half a percent this morning as well. We also need to check on this morning's top corporate stories, including Amazon reportedly continuing to scale back on spending. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those. Pippa, good Hel-
2: hello again, Frank. While well, Amazon is planning to reduce employee stock awards as part of its compensation plan by a small amount in 2025, the e-commerce giant telling Reuters it's making the move as it looks to cut costs amid a difficult economic backdrop. And according to Business Insider, citing a leaked email, some employees raised concerns about the value of their stock-based compensation following a slump in Amazon shares recently, with the company aiming to find a balance between cash and stock compensation. The Financial Times reporting that advertising on TikTok in the U.S. grew by 11 percent in March from companies including Pepsi, DoorDash, Amazon, and Apple, citing data from app analytics group Sensor Tower. The continued enthusiasm from brands coming amid mounted security concerns from governments and regulators around the world over the Chinese-owned app. And Disney naming Joe Early president of its direct to consumer unit for entertainment content, giving him oversight of the Disney Plus and Hulu streaming services. Eagerly has been president of Hulu since last January and will keep the position until a successor is named. Disney's streaming operations are under scrutiny from CEO Bob Iger, who has expressed concern about how much is spent on content. Those shares are right around flat here right now, Frank.
0: All right, Pippa, thank you very much. we gonna have much more on the state of streaming in just a few minutes. All right, the pushback against China's growing influence is gaining steam after meeting with entertainment industry leaders in Los Angeles, a bipartisan group of lawmakers heading to Silicon Valley to gather with the executives of some top top tech companies. Our Steve Kovac joins us now with a look at what what might be on that agenda. Steve, good morning.
7: Yeah, good morning, Frank. Yeah, this is a two-day event happening in Silicon Valley. We have members of the House Select Committee on Chinese Communist Party on Stanford's campus today, hosting a slew of tech executives to discuss American business reliance on China. Now, AI safety and cryptocurrency are on the docket as well. And tomorrow, the committee members head over to Cupertino for a separate meeting with Apple CEO Tim Cook at Apple's headquarters. Now, here's what we're expecting on the agenda today. First up, there's a luncheon with executives, including Google's chief legal officer, Kent Walker, and Microsoft's president, Brad Smith. Now, Smith is expected to give a presentation on AI and discuss American dependence on rare earth minerals out of China. And of course, Walker from Google, he's there to talk AI as well, even though Google doesn't really have a presence in China. Also expected to show up Palantir CTO Shyam Kar and Scale AI CEO Alexander Wang. And in the evening, there'll be a dinner for the VC crowd. That includes people like Mark Andreessen and Vinod Kosla of Kosla Ventures. And Friday morning, we'll focus on cryptocurrency regulation in China. But it's that Apple meeting tomorrow expected to be the most consequential. Apple relies on China more than any other company. I just rattled off there, and both for, uh, for sales and manufacturing of its products in that China. And the overreliance came to a head last fall, Frank, when protests broke out at a Foxconn facility that makes iPhones. Security forces were sent in to stop workers from leaving that factory amid COVID lockdowns. Apple and CEO Tim Cook never really denounced that violence directly. And I'm told that's one of the key issues members of the com- congressional committee plan to bring up, Frank.
0: So, Steve, give us a little bit more color on that meeting with Tim Cook tomorrow, especially given Apple's huge exposure in China.
7: Yeah, exactly, Frank. So what we're seeing here, again, of all those names I mentioned, Apple has the most dependence on China. We saw the effects of the COVID lockdown last fall that had it had on iPhone sales. Sales were down 5% because of those COVID lockdowns in China in the December quarter of last year. And look, this committee is really talking to all these companies saying, we don't want you to compromise on American values to make a quick buck. And there can be an argument, Frank, that Apple has compromised some of those values in order to continue doing business in China, such as storing some user data on Chinese servers and also uh, censoring certain apps in the App Store. So expect all of those things to come up
0: in that meeting, Frank. All right, Steve Kovac, big story. I'm sure you'll be following it all day. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. All right, turning now to the consumer and the impact of stubbornly high inflation on spending and sales growth. Top of mind this week, the potential for higher gas prices following OPEC's surprise production cut, fresh Fed comments indicating more rate hikes may be on the way, and the state of the labor market ahead of tomorrow's jobs report. MasterCard releasing its monthly spending pulse survey this morning right here on Worldwide Exchange, and here is your first look at it. The data showing nominal spending growth was down slightly in March compared to February. But our next guest says he expects consumers to continue to spend. Steve Sadov is a senior advisor at MasterCard. He joins us now to break down the results in a first on CNBC interview. Steve, great to have you on board. Good to be here, Craig. All right. So looking over these numbers right now, Steve, overall retail sales up almost 5 percent, but they were actually down from February. What's this telling us about the consumer and the impact of inflation? I think what it's
8: telling us is the consumer's still out there spending. If we look at the data up four point seven percent, it's still relatively healthy. Obviously, inflation is eating into a part of it. That's a nominal number. But it is slowing. If we look at February at six point nine percent, January was closer to eight percent. So we've got this deceleration in the rate of growth. And that's telling us that the inflation and some of the depression in terms of the uh, deceleration and the amount of savings that the consumer has is starting into, uh, into eating into the rate of growth, but they're still spending on what they want to be doing, uh, a big growth in experiences. Uh, and this is a trend that we've been seeing over the last number of months. Okay. People are shopping back in stores. They're shopping uh, e-commerce. So they want to shop wherever they want to shop. But the growth is in the experiential, the restaurants, the lodging, the uh, grocery food is continuing to uh, look very strong. You know, Steve, but those I, pre- I want to talk to you about that. pandemic winners, the home, home electronics, those are continuing to be really quite soft.
0: Yes, yeah, Steve, I want to talk to you about that experiential spending. So we were just looking at the numbers right now. We're going to show these numbers one more time. Um, we're seeing uh, a, a big jump in lodging spending up 11 percent, restaurant spending up almost 24 percent. As you mentioned, those are two consumer discretionary areas. So we're now two years since the last stimulus check that many thought fueled the consumer spending on goods. What's fueling all this experiential spending?
8: Well, some of this is a reversion to the norm. You had a big growth in the pandemic winners, the stay at home categories, the home, the electronics, et cetera, and a big depression. Remember, in the beginning of the pandemic, nobody was eating in a restaurant. Nobody was uh, doing other than staying at home. And so you had this big uptick, uh, and there's still some pent up demand relative to uh, some of these experiential categories. Having said that, I think that we've eaten into the savings, we're, we're, uh, and the inflation rate has continued to be high in the uh, food and, in the food area, it's starting to come down. But my guess is that you're, uh, you know, I'd be careful about assuming that these trends are going to continue, because uh, you've had this whipsawing. Uh, the winners became losers, the categories, the losers have become winners. And I think that you're seeing a bit of a reversion to the uh, to the mean, but it's it certainly right now, it's a good time for people wanting to get out. Uh, right. But I'd be careful about whether or not they're gonna be able to continue to do this as they feel the pressure of inflation. You're starting to see whether it's the labor markets, you're uh, okay. starting to see the savings rate coming down.
0: All right, so one area of decline, Steve, when it came to home furnishings, um, home goods, and also electronics. So give us a sense of what's causing that. Is that also rate pressure? the uh, impact of higher rates? Is that reducing spending in these areas?
8: I don't think it's so much rate pressure as that it, in the beginning of the pandemic, that's all we had to do. So everybody <laughs> bought a television. They fixed up their home. They uh, brought in all the home improvements, home uh, you know, furniture that they had wanted. And now you're seeing it revert back to some of the previous behavior. It's interesting if you look at these categories today versus pre-pandemic, and that's over a four-year period now, the growth rates in aggregate on a compounded rate, growth rate, aren't that different between the categories. It's just that some got it early, like the electronics, some got it later. I also think you had an effect in the category like electronics, where you had a slowdown on in innovation because the supply chains were so broken. You have not, you, people bought their televisions, but you haven't had a cycle of new innovation that would be driving some of the growth. And again, I would expect that to turn and go to be more normalized. I think there's another phenomenon going on, which is this whole e-commerce store. Uh, in the beginning of the uh, pandemic, uh, e-commerce went from about 12% to 20% of commerce overnight. And a lot of people thought it was going to continue to go through the sky and that would be the death knell for the stores. Well, what happened was as the uh, world opened up, people wanted to get experiences and you saw a reversion where stores became more popular again. And okay. so you saw growth back in stores, roughly 80% or plus of uh, commerce being done in the stores. Right now, you're in a uh, point where if the e-commerce growth at 13% is at about the trend that you saw pre-pandemic. So you saw this pre-pandemic growth of low double digit. It went dramatically higher. Some people thought it was going to continue to grow uh, into that 25%, 30% range. Okay. But it stabilized and was flat for a bit, and now you're back to that pre-pandemic double-digit growth trade.
0: All right, Steve, set We've got to leave the conversation there. Thank you for bringing that MasterCard spending pulse to us first here on Worldwide Exchange. Terrific.
8: Thank you very much. All right.
0: Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Warner Brothers Discovery set to cap a turbulent year uh, since its merger. What its initial struggles could mean for the future of that company and streaming as a whole when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, taking a look at one of your big money movers. This weekend marks one year since Warner Media and Discovery's merger. While the stock has regained some momentum so far this year, it's down nearly 40 percent since that union took hold. Our Julia Boorstin has more on the turbulent 365 days for the company.
9: Frank, it's been a roller coaster year since Warner Brothers Discovery started trading. In the past 12 months, the stock is down 39% and it's off 46% from its 52 week high. But the roller coaster has been heading up just this year. The stock is up 56% year to date, far outperforming the indices and its rival media companies. But despite those recent gains, the majority of the analysts are bullish. 57% have a buy rating, 39% have a hold rating with just one analyst with a sell rating on the stock. That bullishness is driven by CEO David Zaslav's cost cutting and anticipation for the merger of its HBO and Discovery streaming platforms which the company is expected to unveil at an event on Wednesday. Argus Research saying, quote, the transformational combination of Warner Media and Discovery creates a content powerhouse for the merged company's direct to consumer streaming services. Deutsche Bank saying, quote, we believe that most of the pain related to the Warner Media acquisition is now behind the company. Management is now shifting towards a more offensive posture focused on significant improvements. Frank, back over to you.
0: All right, thanks to our Julia Borsten. Let's dive further into Warner Brothers and the outlook for the streaming landscape. Joining me now, Peter Sapino, Wolf Research Senior Analyst. Peter, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning to you. All right, let's just dive right into it, Peter. Um, what's your rating on Warner Brothers Discovery? What's your price target? And how
3: should we view this company in the whole streaming and cable landscape? We rate Warner Discovery outperform with a $20 price target. Uh, we joined the Bull Camp just about a month ago. Uh, having been cautious on the stock for the past year, but we think a couple of really important things are shifting in favor um, of the investment. Um, the first and, and most important is that we think that what has been a very difficult integration of um, of the Warner um, assets that Discovery bought from AT&T um, is past the most difficult phase. We think that the skeletons left in the closets at Warner by AT&T have largely been identified. And the second thing that we concluded is that the controversy about the future of the Turner cable networks and CNN um, and the difficulty that they face with declining pay TV subscription is totally in the stock. OK, so coming up on April the
0: 12th next week, we're having a presentation on the new combined HBO Discovery streaming platform. What are you expecting from that? And then is that going to signal perhaps a similar trend in other parts of the industry, perhaps Disney Plus combining ESPN? Are we going to see that just continue?
3: So I think that company bundles are going to be a big theme over the next few years. It's really difficult to herd the cats, so to speak, to get everybody to work together. When I say everybody, I mean the supply side of streaming uh, in order to create a, a bundle like the old pay TV bundle, which had the wonderful attributes for the sellers of having really, really low churn and really high prices because consumers would just take it. Uh, in streaming today, you can turn it on, you can turn it off, you can come and go as new hits, attract your attention, uh, which is very consumer friendly. It's not very supplier friendly, and that's part of the reason that uh, only one company, Netflix, which is our favorite stock, um, is making money in streaming right now. And and so we think Warner Discovery's new launch of the combined streaming service uh, will probably have a a moderate start. We think it'll take time to build, but we think it's part of a broader theme of of companies consolidating. We've said that streaming is transitioning from a land grab phase to a consolidation phase where the land grab was all about subscribers and consolidation is about getting more out of the subs you have, and one way to do that is to create these company bundles where the subs will stay for longer periods of time.
0: All right, let's talk about their movie business for a bit. Uh, the DC Extended Universe, what they call their movie business, which compares to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, had a bit of a shakeup recently. Uh, James Gunn has come in and made some big moves. What do you think about the prospects for the movies they have coming up,
3: especially that Flash movie? Well, the creative piece of this of Hollywood is always the hardest for Wall Street to predict. Few companies like Disney have really institutionalized uh, steady franchise creation, and that's what James Gunn has been tasked with uh, at DC Studios. Uh, so it'll be very fun to watch um, his output. There are four DC movies slated for 23, and we assume that as the uh, as time passes, the DC movies that Warner releases will have more of his. Uh, signature on them. And so uh, we feel patient, optimistic, and hopeful. All right.
0: Something to certainly watch. I'm pretty excited about James Gunn taking things over. I was a big fan of the Peacemaker streaming show that he did. It was pretty fun. Um, hoping to see more of that in those DC movies. Peter Sapino from Wolf Research. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, RBC Capitals, Amy Will Silverman lays out the trading day ahead and the signals she's seeing with the options market and what it could mean for earnings season. And the markets may be closed tomorrow, but Squawk Box will be live for special coverage of the March jobs report that starts tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern only right here at CNBC. Worldwide Exchange, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up, six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Chinese President Xi Jinping hosting a trilateral summit with French President Emmanuel Macron and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen today, part of a recent push from European leaders to engage with China. Shares of Costco sinking in the pre-market after the company reported its first monthly same-store sales drop in nearly three years due to falling gas prices and foreign exchange issues. Tesla tripling its workforce to more than 12,000 employees at its Austin manufacturing hub last year, according to reports. And the FDIC retaining a unit of BlackRock to sell the securities portfolios it kept after the collapse of Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. The face values of those two portfolios are $114 billion combined. Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy purchasing more than 1,000 Bitcoin put in the company's total Bitcoin holdings at right around 140,000, making it the largest corporate holder of that digital asset in the world. And Boeing restarting deliveries of its 767 models after a three-month pause caused by supplier quality issues. Flight data showing the Playmaker handed over a 767 freighter to FedEx and the U.S. Air Force last month. We're also gearing up for the trading day ahead. We get weekly initial, initial jobless claims at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also get earnings from Constellation Brands and Levi Strauss before the bell on the Fed front. We'll hear from St. Louis Central Bank Chief James Bullard this morning. And that bipartisan group of lawmakers is set to continue its meetings with tech and entertainment leaders today to discuss their dealings with China. Back to the markets now. Investors set to close out the holiday shortened trading week. That initial jobless claims report front and center ahead of tomorrow's monthly jobs report. We're also gearing up for earnings season to shift into high gear next week with the big focus on the banks on Friday with J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells Fargo, among those reporting. Let's dive into all of it with Amy Will Silverman, Head of Derivative Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, always great to see you. Good to see you. All right, we're going to talk a little options in just a second, Amy. But first, I just want to get your take on the trading day that we're seeing right now. We're seeing the Nasdaq and and also the S&P potentially breaking weekly win streaks. We're seeing the futures dip into the red this morning. What do you think is causing all this negative sentiment?
10: So, you know, this is something that we've spoken with investors to, which is just you know, are we getting to an inflection point? We had this interesting flip year to date, Frank, where all of 2022's losers became the winners and tech became the safe haven. And the question people have as we get into earnings is as we digest new information, you know, does that inflection point happen? Does that trade essentially reverse? To some degree, I think that's the narrative that's playing out right now.
0: All right. So as I mentioned, we're about to end earnings season. Give us a sense of how you would position for options right now ahead of what's you know, a questionable earnings season. A lot of thought about an earnings decline here.
10: Yeah, you know, look, earnings are normally critical, especially in the first few weeks. That's when we tend to see the most volatility as investors kind of get new information for the first time. Uh, this time around, I think it's even more so because financials has been so front and center and anything these CEOs say, you know, either to the positive or to the negative, I think is really going to get read through uh, from the client base, especially as it comes to regional banks.
0: All right. So how are people playing when it comes to financials and big banks when it comes to options? Is there one bank that the options market at least is more bullish on and one that it's more negative on? So what
10: we did yesterday is we essentially looked at what options were pricing those implied moves across all financials that are going to report in the next three weeks. So essentially all of April expiration. A couple key takeaways here. You know, not surprisingly, the least concern is being priced into the big banks. So this is your Goldman Sachs, your Morgan Stanley, your J.P. Morgan. What I thought was interesting is among the big banks, there is a decent amount of concern being priced into the Bank of America. And then the highest concern, the most demand for that downside protection uh, is kind of in your regionals, your Zions of the world, your citizens. Uh, you know, those are the ones that unsurprisingly, you see the most expensive downside. Now, obviously, if we get something that's positive, That's not being priced into options right now. That's really something that investors could take advantage of if there was an inflection point.
0: So you're saying if there was an inflection point, do you see an inflection point coming up when it comes to financials? And is it the entire sector? Is it big banks? Is it regional banks? Where's that inflection point at?
10: You know, it's a tough question. Obviously, I don't specialize in financials, but when I talk to clients who do, there are some who are playing that this potentially could be a bottom. And one reason they like using options is specifically that optionality, because you're outlaying a smaller premium to make that bet. So, you know, for somebody who wasn't faint of heart, if you sold one of those really expensive downside options because they're so expensive, you actually get to own the call options. You get to own that upside optionality to net credit. Especially, you know, for regionals because they are so expensive on the downside. You really you get the bang for the buck to make those trades that sound not necessarily that they're right, just that those payouts are really attractive.
0: All right, one more macro question: jobs report coming up tomorrow. What are you expecting? How influential do you believe that'll be for the markets? Even though the markets are closed on Friday, but I mean going forward.
10: Yeah, it's a great question. I actually had a conversation with a colleague about this, which is just. You know, when it happens on a Friday, no one's there to hear it. Does that make the following Monday even more volatile as we get into an earnings week? I think it's critical. And I think, you know, the consensus is still that that number, given other numbers, would be quite strong. But I think we'll have to see on Monday, especially as they digest all of Friday's news.
0: All right. Amy Wu Silverman, always great to see you. Thank you for the insight as always. All right. One more Thank quick you. check of the futures right now. We're actually seeing the Dow right now just dip very slightly into positive territory, the S&P and the NASDAQ. Both in the red right now. The NASDAQ, the hardest hit, looking like it's down about a third of a percent in the pre market, obviously still very early goings. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawkbox is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on
10: CNBC.